Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you that you are our light. Lord, we thank you that you came as our Savior in Jesus the Christ. And Lord, I pray that your Spirit would move among us this day, that you would illumine our minds and our hearts. Lord, open our eyes. And Lord, help us to receive you. And may that life, that living water, well up within us and overflow and spill out into this world. Lord, give us courage to hear you and to go and to be your disciples, to reap with you these fields that are ripe for harvest. Lord, I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be found holy and acceptable in your sight. You who are our strength and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. John makes a point of saying Jesus had to pass through Samaria. And that Jesus stops at noon at a well. And he speaks with a Samaritan woman. And John notes how surprised she is that he, a Jewish man, would do such a thing. What's the deal with Jews and Samaritans? Why is Jesus' contact, why is Jesus' conversation with this woman so striking? Well, one reason is historical. And to understand why, we have to go back several hundred years before Jesus' birth. In the year 721 B.C., the king of Assyria attacked and overran the northern portion of the kingdom of Israel. And as occupying powers did in that day, the Assyrians took many of the Jews living in Israel back to Assyria with them to be their slaves or their manual laborers. And in their place, the Assyrians moved in peoples from other nations that they had conquered. These strangers mixed with the Jews still living in the land. And over time, their religions, their cultures, their languages blended together And these people became known as the Samaritans. Now fast forward nearly three centuries to the year 458 B.C. when the Assyrians allow the Jewish people to return to Israel. The Jewish people return to rebuild their nation, their temple, their culture. And when they get back home, they look down on these Samaritans who have been living there as kind of second-class squatters, as polluters of a land that was supposed to be for God's people to live under God's laws and ordinances. This animosity, this disdain between the Jews and the Samaritans continued for hundreds of more years. It was still in effect when Jesus turned onto a road that led right into Samaria. A second reason that Jesus' conversation with this Samaritan woman was scandalous was cultural. It was because of their gender. Preacher Donald Strobe explains it like this. In Jesus' day, no respectable Jewish man would be caught dead holding a conversation with a woman, much less in public. There was a rabbinical saying of the time, a man should hold no conversation with a woman in the street not even with his own wife, 
less still with another woman, lest men should gossip. I'm not advocating that as advice to the guys here today. Commentator William Barclay notes that among some of the most devoted of the Jews, a group known as the Pharisees, there were some called the bruised or bleeding Pharisees. They carried this matter so far as to wear blinders over their eyes. They would shut their eyes to keep from glancing at any women around them. And as such, they kept bumping into things, bumping into trees and walls and houses and buildings so that their noses and their foreheads were often bleeding. Yet here is Jesus engaging in a conversation with a woman in broad daylight in public. It is scandalous. The third reason, this wasn't just any Samaritan. This wasn't just any woman. This woman had a reputation. This woman had had more than her share of husbands. And she wasn't married to the man that she was living with when she met Jesus. Again, this is scandalous. Three times over, John makes it perfectly clear that this woman at the well is not the kind of person that any well-raised, any God-fearing, any patriotic member of God's people would be seen with. You wouldn't make eye contact with this kind of woman. You wouldn't talk to her. You certainly wouldn't touch or share a drink from the same cup with her. And yet, John records more words of Jesus' exchange with this woman. John wrote down more lines of dialogue from this conversation than from any other person that Jesus will speak to. I think it's hard to wrap our heads around how radical, how outside the norm this whole encounter is. It's hard to translate it into our own time and place. Just how far Jesus is stretching out to share good news. Good news with this Samaritan woman. As we reflect on this passage, there's a temptation to get caught up in the details, to get caught up in the particulars like the image of that living water, or of worshiping in spirit and in truth, or of fields ripe for harvest. It's easy to get caught up thinking about our obligation to point out sin when we see it, as Jesus does here. And on that topic, when it comes to pointing out the sins of others, we might do well to remember that it's Jesus Himself who calls this woman to account, not His disciples. Rather than teaching us how to name the sins of those in front of us, we might do better asking Jesus to point out our own sins to us. So this morning, instead of focusing on one particular issue from this text, and it's the reason that I read the whole long conversation for you, I'd like us to focus on how Jesus shares the mercy and the love of God with this woman. How Jesus goes about it. And I want us to ask ourselves what doing the same to others would look like for us. Especially when it comes to sharing God's love with the wrong kind of people. 
with those we don't want to be seen with. Those we don't want to talk to in the light of day. I have an example of such a radical encounter. And it's one that happened in a time and place much closer to our own. It's a story from the life and ministry of Dr. Tony Campolo. He's a well-known preacher and professor and author. And in his book, The Kingdom of God is a Party, Tony Campolo relates an experience he had late one night in Hawaii during a visit to Honolulu for a Christian conference. Tony Campolo writes this. On my first night there, I awoke sometime after three in the morning. A six-hour time difference had confused my sleep pattern. And I left the hotel in search of a place to get something to eat. Up a side street, I found a little place that was still open. I went in, took a seat on one of the stools at the counter, and waited to be served. Now, this was one of those sleazy places that deserves the name Greasy Spoon. I did not even touch the menu. I was afraid that if I opened the thing, something gruesome would crawl out. But it was the only place I could find. The fat guy behind the counter came over and asked me, what do you want? I said I wanted a cup of coffee and a donut. He poured a cup of coffee, wiped his grimy hand on his smudged apron, and grabbed the donut off the shelf behind him. Now, I'm a realist. I know that in the back room of that restaurant, donuts are probably dropped on the floor and kicked around. But when everything is out front where I could see it, I really would have appreciated if he had used a pair of tongs and placed the donut on some wax paper. You know, maybe sanitized his hands even. As I sat there munching only donut and sipping my coffee at 3.30 in the morning, the door of the diner suddenly swung open. And to my discomfort, in marched eight or nine provocative and boisterous prostitutes. Now, it was a small place, and they sat on either side of me. Their talk was loud and crude. I felt completely out of place and was just about to make my getaway when I overheard the woman beside me say, Tomorrow's my birthday. I'm going to be 39. Her friend responded in a rather nasty tone, So, what do you want from me? A birthday party? What do you want? You want me to get you a cake and sing happy birthday? Come on, said the woman sitting next to me. Why do you have to be so mean? I was just telling you, that's all. You don't have to put me down. I was just telling you that it was my birthday. I don't want anything from you. I mean, why should you give me a birthday party? I've never had a birthday party in my whole life. Why should I have one now? When I heard that, I made a decision. I sat and waited until the women had left. Then I called over the fat guy behind the counter and I asked him, do they come in here every night? Yeah, he answered. The, the one right next to me, does she come here every night? Yeah, he said, that's Agnes. Yeah, she comes in here every night. Why do you want to know? Because I heard her say that tomorrow is her birthday. What do you say you and I do something about that? What do you think about us throwing a birthday party for her right here tomorrow night? 
smile slowly crossed his chubby cheeks, and he answered with measured delight, That's great. I like it. That's a great idea. Calling to his wife, who did the cooking in the back room, he shouted, Hey, come out here. This guy's got a great idea. Tomorrow is Agnes's birthday. This guy wants us to go in with him and throw a birthday party for her right here tomorrow night. His wife came out of the back room, all bright and smiley. She said, that's wonderful. You know, Agnes is, is one of those people who is really nice and kind, but nobody does anything nice and kind for her. Look, I told them, if it's okay with you, I'll get back here tomorrow morning about 2.30 and decorate the place. I'll even get a cake. No way, said Harry. That was the man's name. The birthday cake's my thing. I'll bake the cake. So at 2.30 the next morning, I was back at the diner. I had picked up some crepe paper decorations at the store and had made a sign out of big pieces of cardboard that read, Happy Birthday, Agnes. I decorated the diner from one end to the other. I had that diner looking good. The woman who did the cooking must have gotten the word out on the street because by 3.15, every prostitute in Honolulu was in the place. It was wall-to-wall prostitutes and me. At 3.30 on the dot, the door of the diner swung open and in came Agnes and her friend. I had everybody ready. After all, I was kind of the MC of the affair. And when they came in, we all screamed, Happy birthday! Never have I seen a person so flabbergasted, so stunned, so shaken. Her mouth fell open. Her legs seemed to buckle a bit. Her friend grabbed her arm to steady her. As Agnes was led to sit on one of the stools along the counter, we all sang happy birthday to her. As we came to the end of our singing with Happy birthday, dear Agnes. Happy birthday to you. Her eyes moistened. Then, when the birthday cake with all the candles on it was carried out, she lost it and just openly cried. Harry gruffly mumbled, Blow out the candles, Agnes. Come on, blow out the candles. If you don't blow out the candles, I'm going to have to blow out the candles. And after an endless few seconds, he did. Then he handed her a knife and told her, Cut the cake, Agnes. Agnes, come on, we we all want some cake. Agnes looked down at the cake. And without taking her eyes off it, she slowly and softly said, Look, Harry, is it all right with you? Is it okay if I... What I want you to know is, is it okay if I just keep the cake for a little while? I mean, is it all right if we don't eat it right away? Harry shrugged and answered, Sure, it's okay. If you want to keep the cake, keep the cake. Take it home if you want to. Can I? She asked. Then looking at me, she said, I live just down the street a couple of doors. I want to take the cake home, okay? I'll be right back, honest. Agnes got off the stool picked up the cake and carrying it like it was the Holy Grail. She walked slowly toward the door. And we all just stood there motionless, 
as she left. When the door closed, there was a stunned silence in the place. And not knowing what else to do, I broke the silence by saying, what do you say we pray? Looking back on it now, it seems more than strange for a Christian sociologist to be leading a prayer meeting with a bunch of prostitutes in a diner in Honolulu at 3.30 in the morning. But then it just felt like the right thing to do. So I prayed for Agnes. I prayed for her salvation. I prayed that her life would be changed and that God would be good to her. When I finished praying, Harry leaned over the counter and with a trace of hostility in his voice said, Hey, you never told me you were a preacher. What kind of church do you belong to? In one of those moments when just the right words came, I answered, I belong to a church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning. Harry waited a moment and then almost sneered as he answered, No, you don't. There's no church like that. If there was a church like that, I'd join it. Tony Campolo ends his amazing story with this. Wouldn't we all? Wouldn't we all like to join a church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning? Well, he says, that's the kind of church that Jesus came to create. How about us? What kind of church has Jesus called us to create here in Lewisburg? What will we do with Jesus' example? Sitting down at the well, in public, in the middle of the day, with the kind of person that no one wanted to be seen with. Jesus offered her the living water of His grace. And very soon, Jesus would pour out His own life on the cross for her sake and for ours. How is Jesus' living water welling up from us? And who is it flowing for? May God grant us the grace to love as He loves. In Jesus' name and for His sake. Amen.